said, my name is Laura and I'm part of the core leadership team here. And I've been asked today to talk on tithing and giving. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at all different areas of stewardship. We've looked at how we are to steward the earth that God has given us and his creation. We've looked at how to steward the gifts and the talents that God has given each of us. We looked at how to steward our material possessions and how we can use them to be hospitable to other people. So it just leaves us with how we steward our finances, tithing and giving. In other words, money. Now, I'm sure that a lot of you in this room, it didn't take you long to be here in the UK to realize that us as British people really don't like talking about money. So you have to bear with me for any awkwardness or awkward pauses because it's hard to get up here and talk about money as a Brit. We are hardwired to avoid talking about money. I couldn't tell you what my closest friends earn. I work in the NHS, I, am, I have a job that is banded, so it doesn't take much for you to Google what band I'm on to work out roughly what my salary would be. But that's unusual. We don't tend to shout what our earnings are. In British etiquette, talking about money can be seen as bad manners. Just as you don't ask a lady her age or somebody how much they weigh, you don't ask them how much money they have in their bank. But is this British cultural phenomenon in line with what the Bible says? Are we supposed to boast about the money that we have and the giving that we give? Or are we supposed to be secretive about it and squirrel it away? Or is there an entirely different way that we can treat money? Am I pointing it the wrong way? Hold on. Next slide, please. <laughs> so I want to look this morning <coughs> at what does the Bible tell us about money? A little Bible 101 and what the Bible says about money. Then I want us to look at how we steward what we have been given financially well. And then as it is our giving day, how we can give to the work of this church, MCC. So what does the Bible say about money? Well, I've got four areas I want to look at. First of, that money is not inherently bad. Secondly, that, it must, that we must not make an idol out of it. It must not become our master. Thirdly, that it is good to have a little, but dangerous to have a lot. And fourth, that it can be used to advance the kingdom. So first off, it's not inherently bad. This verse from 2 Timothy 6, 9-10. Just to say, we are going to be jumping around the Bible quite a bit today. So if you want your Bibles out, Bible apps, those sorts of things, most of the verses will be up on the slide. But we are going to be jumping all over the Bible today. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The problem with money is really a problem with us. We are sinful people and money often brings out the worst of our sin. Money is a wonderful tool that can be used for so much good. But as sinful people, we tend to value it incorrectly and pursue it indiscriminately. But money, when used and you've received in the right spirit should be understood as a blessing and a tool for blessing others and not a curse. So it's not inherently bad. Second, it must not become our master, become our idol. Matthew 6, 6 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one 
and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here Jesus is warning his followers the dangers of letting money become our master. You'll be so devoted to it that you'll hate God. If we make money our idol, it will take us away from the only one who is worthy of our praise and our devotion. You simply cannot serve both God and money. Third, it is good to have a little, but dangerous to have a lot. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks a lot about how difficult it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the problem is that money gives us security. Money gives us security, which means that often we are tempted to trust money than we are to trust God. It is much easier to think that we don't need a savior and that we can save ourselves when we've got money to fall back on. Who needs the saving work of Jesus Christ when we can save ourselves? And there's a prayer in Proverbs 30 that I think shows the posture um, of money that we should adopt. I haven't got this on the screen, but it's Proverbs 30, eight to nine. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or, I'm, or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. The writer of Proverbs here knows that if he only, he only needs his daily bread because if he's given too much, he may say, I don't need God anymore. Having a little money is good, but having too much can turn our eyes away from God. And fourth, money can be used to advance the kingdom. In Acts, we see 3,000 people baptized in just one day, on the day of Pentecost. Many of these people were Jewish pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem for the festival and upon hearing the gospel, decided to stay permanently. After all, there was no Christian church for them back in Rome or in Corinth or Athens at the time. These people remained in Jerusalem without any means of support. It would seem many of them weren't proficient in the local language and were completely dependent on the church for support. So how would the church look after these people? I mean, we've expanded to a church of almost 300 people. If suddenly we had 3,000 walk through the door next week, how do we support all these people? Where would we get the money? Well, people would need to step up. And in Acts, they did. This is an example of somebody that did. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. People stepped up and gave what they had to support this growth of the church. I mean, it doesn't imply that all of the, Christ all the early Christians sold up and gave what they had to the church. We know that they didn't. But it does reflect our need and call to hold on to material wealth lightly so when God calls on it, we can give generously for the work of the kingdom. So bearing these four things in mind about money, it's not inherently bad. We don't want to make an idol out of it. It's good to have a little and dangerous to have a lot and it can be used to advance the kingdom. What does it look like for us to steward money well? I'm gonna talk on two areas. I'm gonna look at tithing, which is a principle and not a law, and giving, how we give generously and not reluctantly. So first up is tithing. 
Tithing, the word tithing means a tenth. And it's used in the Bible to describe a 10% offering that Israel gave um, from the increase of crops and animals to the temple, to um, the Levites. In Christianity, this has become synonymous usually with our Sunday morning offering um, and with our regular giving. But as I was researching this talk, I was actually surprised where we first see um, the first tithe given in the Bible, the first tenth given. Anybody know where it might come from in? Well, I heard of Genesis. Yeah, you're right, it's Genesis. Well done, Dan. I was really surprised. I thought that this would have come in at Leviticus with the Levitical law of Moses. But actually, the first person that we see give a tenth offering is Abram. He gives it to King Melchizedek. Dan, do you want to come and take over? <laughs> Just muttering my, my talk under his breath. King Melchizedek, um, Abraham, Abraham gives his money and his earnings that he's got to the king, a tenth of it. And then later in, in Genesis, in Genesis 28, we see Jacob also give a tenth to God. After he's had the dream of the staircase of heaven with the angels coming up and down and he knows that God is choosing him to do something great, that God will be with him, Jacob responds by giving a tenth. So that's two occasions that tithing occurs before we've even got to the law of Moses. And then in Leviticus, it becomes stipulated. The tithe was used to support the work of the Levi priests, similar to how our regular giving today supports the work of the church. This is what it says in Leviticus 27. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? It says every tenth animal. It isn't, you guys use what you need and give me the last remnants of what you've got. It is you give to me first. The first 10% of everything belongs to the Lord. The Israelites don't have an option of keeping what they need and giving God whatever is left over. The tithe belongs to the Lord. Why does it belong to the Lord? Why does it belong to God? Because he has so graciously and generously given to us. When I was, um, when I'd finished university, I took a year out working for a, a Christian charity called UCCF that support um, Christian unions at universities and I did what they call their relay year it's a discipleship year where for a volunteer for a year I volunteered for them and worked with their Christian unions in Sheffield now because it was a voluntary year I didn't get paid and because it was a discipleship year I had no time to earn any money so the idea was that people would sponsor me to do this year out and to live for a year I needed in Sheffield I needed around six grand so you can imagine, I've already said, we hate talking about money. I had to stand up in front of church. I had to ask a lot of people if they would partner with me and sponsor me monthly for that year. And I did. And amazingly, lots of people offered to support my work that year. And I remember feeling so responsible for the money that I had been given. I really felt this responsibility to steward that money well, that I couldn't just go to the shops and buy myself a whole new wardrobe of clothes because that money had been given to me to do good work. And I felt this real responsibility. I remember discussing this with my team leader and saying, I just feel so responsible for this money. I feel like I've got to steward it really well. And what he said to me still sticks with me today. He asked if the money I had when I had employment 
would be stewarded any differently. And I thought, well, yeah, because that's my money. That's money that then I've earned. It's money that I've done my job for and I've been paid that money. And he challenged me on it and said, but is it? Where has that money still come from? It's not come from the NHS. It has come from God. Actually, should I have been treating the money that I earned any differently to the money that had been gifted to me for this year out? No, not at all. I completely neglected the fact that all money, whether gifted through a third party or through paid employment, is actually a gift from God. I'd separated the two out, thinking I could spend my own money however I liked, but this money I got to use for the work of God. I'd forgotten that God is the graciously generous Jehovah Jireh, and whether he was providing for me through sponsorship or providing through me for me through paid employment, actually, I was called to steward all of that money well. So how are you treating the money that God has given you? Are you holding on to it too tightly, thinking that you deserve to keep all of it because you've worked hard to earn it? Are you tithing regularly? Are you giving a tenth of what you produce back to God, who has so graciously and generously given to you? Maybe today, our giving day, is the day that you start. Now, it's worth pointing out here that we are no longer under the law of Moses. Jesus Christ was crucified, died, and rose again three days later, and his death fully satisfies that law. We are no longer under any obligation to tithe. Our salvation does not rely on our obedience to the law. There is grace that covers us for that. And yet we are warned by Jesus to not let money become our master. And we are warned by Jesus that it is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom. We may no longer have to tithe, but when understanding how to steward our money well, it's a good place to start. It's a good principle to hold. Whether that is 10%, 2%, 47%, there is a call on us to give regularly to support the work of the church, this church, for the sake of the church, the bride of Christ. Grace doesn't mean that we throw the law out and do whatever we want with our money. Grace means that we don't need to fulfill it to be saved because in Jesus we are already, because Jesus already fulfilled it. The law teaches us righteousness, which includes how we use our money righteously. So secondly, giving. Generously and not reluctantly. God shows us his amazing grace and generosity to us in giving us Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. So how can we mirror that, that generosity that has been shown to us? In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he really digs deep into this idea of giving. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he challenges the Corinthians to give just as Jesus did. For you know, the bit in bold, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We can give, why can we give generously? Because Jesus gave generously for us. He left the throne room of heaven to be born in a stable and die on a cross. We are here to follow him sacrificially by giving generously too. And sometimes th that can sting. Our giving is not always meant to feel comfortable. I've definitely had times in my life that our giving has felt tight 
and I've turned to my husband and said, maybe just for six months we stop tithing. It'll just give us that bit of room to, to work a bit more. And he'll say, no, Laura, <laughs> don't be ridiculous. We'll just save less here. We'll put less here. Actually, we want to honor God in our giving. It's not always meant to feel comfortable if we are giving generously. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will reap generously. There is a blessing to be found in generosity. Now, I'm not saying that we give so that God gives back to us. This isn't the prosperity gospel. When our hearts are in the right place, when we realize all that God has given us, how can our response be anything other than to give back generously to our God who has given so much? As Miles said, it's a cycle of us being able to give back what we have been given. And then God blesses us again. God blesses us so we can continue to be generous and continue to bless others. We sing a lot of songs that reflect this enormity of God's generosity to us. Whether it's gratitude, you know, it says, um, I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for the king except for a hallelujah. We can see that God has given us so much that all we can give in return is a hallelujah. Or as we're almost in the Christmas season, a verse from my favorite, of my favorite verse in all carols from In the Bleak Wid Winter, what can I give him poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would give a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part, but what can I give him but give my heart? We know the enormity of what God has given us. We can give him a hallelujah. We can give him our heart. When we're faced with God, the giver, how can our response be anything than to give back generously? So we are called to give generously and we are called to give sacrificially just like Jesus. However, this sacrificial giving does come with a warning to steward what we are given well. We should give sacrificially, but if we jump back to 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 12, it tells us to give according to what we have. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. We are not called to tithe ourselves, to give ourselves into debt and into poverty. We are called to give out of what we have, which is if we've got nothing, then that is what we give. If we have stuff to give, then we can give out of what we have. We're called to have wisdom in our giving, to ensure that we can still provide for those who rely on our provision and to give generously out of what we do have. Paul is telling us not to bankrupt ourselves through giving. Ultimately, God knows all. He knows the state of our finances. He knows the position of our heart when it comes to money. In verses seven and eight, it says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, which as Nana told us earlier, for God loves a cheerful giver. The spirit will help you decide in your heart what to give. God convicts us of our selfishness and reluctantness to give generously. He can also help us to be more sensible with our money and to steward it well and not to promise what we don't have. So why does this decision need to come from the heart? 
because we don't want to give reluctantly or out of obligation. God wants us to give cheerfully, not because me and Miles have told you that today is giving day. He wants you to give because you want to give back to him because of everything that he's already done for you. Because you want to give into the vision and the mission of this church. Because you want to see God's name glorified in this place and in Middlesbrough. Because we want to honour God with everything he has generously and graciously given us. So what is God calling you to today? What has your heart decided to give, as it says in Corinthians here? Maybe you realise that you're holding on to material wealth too tightly and now is a chance to start on a journey to generosity. Maybe God is telling you today is not the time to give. Maybe you're in financial difficulty and cannot give out of what you do not have. Maybe you're realising the need to tithe regularly to the work of this church. We're going to enter a time of reflection and action now. You will see around that there are some sheets of paper that look like this one in the background, um, which should have been on and around the seats that you are, are on. And it is one of the ways that you can um, give this morning. It tells you on the back, there's lots of different options. So what we have got is, if you'd like to make an additional cash offering gift in the collection, then the stewards will be coming round and they have some envelopes that, that cash offerings can go into. If you'd like to give additional offering via the bank, by bank transfer or stewardship, you can scan the QR codes on the side of your chairs. If you'd like to start monthly giving, that should also link you up to where you can monthly give. And the same with increasing monthly giving. Or you would like to maybe write an IOU, a pledge, that will be honoured. Everybody doesn't have to fill in a piece of paper if you don't want to fill in a piece of paper, but if they are there um, to help you, that is fine. Obviously, also, if you are a visitor today, please do not feel any pressure um, to give. But hopefully, this time to reflect now on what God is calling us to give, whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else, um, would be great. So we're just going to take a few minutes for you guys to sit. I'm going to put these questions back up. So what is God calling you to today? And what has your heart decided to give?
Don't want to rush this moment because, and if this was a surprise to you this morning, you're like, oh, I just didn't know this was happening. That's okay. That's okay, church. Take the slip, take it home, pray about it this week, bring it next week. Bring it next week. Bring it back next week. Make a commitment um, that you feel God's calling you to at this time. Bring it next week. Absolutely fine. Because I know for some people you've walked in and gone, oh, I didn't know this was happening. It's not a problem. Not a problem. Grace for each other. Um, But this is a really important step. There's some genuine, genuine things on the heart of the church family, on the heart of this leadership that we want to see happen in 2024. And uh, we've got to partner into this together. And that's what this is about. It's about who we are together collectively and about us going in this journey together so um, there's some details on the screen going by there's a QR